That bell, let's start the show. Welcome to Wrestling Chat with Friends, our Tuesday show. That's our WWE show. We also do a AEW show on Thursdays, but tonight we're talking WWE on Wrestling Chat with Friends. Welcome. I am EJ the Collector. I am joined, as I am every week, with my tag team partner, the axe to my smash, the barbarian to my warlord. TG, Tom, you forgot to watch the angle doc again? What's up? Yeah, I just... I. I meant to watch it and then I just slipped my mind and uh, I need to do that. I need to rectify that probably this week. I could have sworn you gave a review about it like one or two weeks ago where you made no, the was, that angle was the it, possibly it the greatest of all time. It hadn't come out yet, oh, but they had okay. done the, um, the previous night on raw, they had done the like trailer yeah. for it. And so that was what I was kind of jazzed up about. So yeah. Is it on the, is it on Peacock? Yeah. Go watch it on Peacock. Yeah. Well, Everyone out there, thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on YouTube, on Facebook. You're joining us on X, formerly known as Twitter. We're at, at WCWFPod. Our producer, Cheats, has also uploaded a bunch of old episodes to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. So download us, check us out, and tell a friend why don't you. Speaking of friends, we are missing our third co-host, Kelsey, tonight. She is down at the Nightmare Factory, Cody Rhodes' wrestling school, getting in a little bit of refresher training before she starts booking ourselves for some matches this fall. So she's out this week. She'll join us next week. You can catch her on Whatnot Opening Wrestling Packs Monday nights at 8 p.m. That's all the promotion we're going to do tonight. We're going to get right into some wrestling. But as we do, you did not. You probably didn't check out our Thursday show, TG, last week, uh, where Cheats and I talked AEW. But for my collector's choice, I showed off a couple of the pieces that I got right after Bray Wyatt passed away. Mm -hmm. WWE Shop started donating 100% proceeds to his family. And I picked up this plaque from Elimination Chamber in 2017 in Phoenix when he won the world title. And I also picked up, there wasn't a whole lot of merchandise left, thank goodness, the Extreme Rules when he returned that we were all so excited about. And that was in 2022, October, Philadelphia, of course. We are gonna start tonight's show actually outside the ring because it's a pretty significant day today in world wrestling entertainment history. Help me with the history here, Tom. Um, the McMahons fully on the company till about what, 20 years ago when they went public? Yeah. 2002, they, early 2000s. Yeah. Early 2000s. Okay. Vince McMahon had always retained either a hundred percent control or majority of control after the uh, company went public on the stock exchange. However, that has come to an end because yesterday WWE was the purchase from the Endeavor group went through. Um, I guess the new company is called TKO. Is that correct? And this company now owns WWE, UFC, um, executives for both companies and this new company, people like Mark Shapiro, Ari Emanuel, Vince, Triple H, Nick Khan, Nick Khan, yeah, not Tony Khan, Nick Khan, and Dana White were all at the New York Stock Exchange this morning celebrating this. And it's a big deal, but now Vince only owns 16% of the company. And first time that's ever happened. So I want you to talk about this is like, my real question is, is anyone come out as losers in this deal? Because it doesn't seem so. Everyone comes out very rich. Seemingly it's good content for fans, but in your opinion, are there any losers in this? And then what will be, the, what's the biggest risk going forward for this company? Cause we know all the positives, but like what, what are some risks and who stands to maybe lose out on this deal? I think in the immediate future, it's a win-win for everybody. I think the, the question long-term, especially from the fans perspective is quite obviously what impact is this going to have? on the on-screen product as we have known it. And not just from a sort of a creative standpoint, but also from the standpoint of, is the model that WWE has really created over the last, gosh, I mean, 25 plus years of Raw, SmackDown, you know, pay-per-view on the weekend, like how much is that gonna shift, if at all? Um, are they, you know, one thing we talked about a while ago when this deal had first Kind of percolated up was the fact that ufc uses a very different model for their product obviously it's it's apples to oranges but the point is is that 
WWE for a while, when the WWE Network came out, had very much taken a hard step in the direction of an over-the-top type streaming service to provide a lot of exclusives that you couldn't see anywhere else. Well, that obviously changed when they made the Peacock deal or the NBC Universal deal and so on. And so now the question becomes, with this new corporate structure, with a, a different company, with other people who are going to going to have a significant say, possibly even a controlling say on what the business model looks like. Does WWE as we know it continue to exist or is there an evolution of it to something else? And so to answer your question, who, who are the losers? I think it really depends on where the new corporate leaders are in terms of being on the same page or not with the existing WWE folks. So for example, there had already been talk of like Triple H who has kind of the day-to-day -day control over the over the creative, at least for the last year or so, mm -hmm. either getting, I don't want to say phased out, but maybe getting his power mitigated somewhat, either by, you know, Vince himself or by the fact that maybe that there's a different vision in place with these new company leaders. And so that I think is is the potential for losers long term or or negatives long term. I think back to to, to give a, an example that's it's a little more on point. I think back to what happened when Turner bought the old, you know, WCW or, you know, the, the Crockett, Jim Crockett promotions. Right. And famously, David Crockett was given like this deal where it's like, you're going to continue to be an executive in this company for, I think it was like two years or something. But then like the second the deal went through, he said, like, I had no, I, it's like, they didn't even, I was going to be a consultant and then I, they didn't care what I said and so on. Now, this is obviously a little bit more, it's a much bigger deal, of course. And also the people involved are a little bit smarter about the sort of corporate stuff, or let's say more experienced about, about corporate stuff. But having said that, if, if you told me two years from now that there is a scenario where all of the people that we currently think of as the WWE, you know, top brass are, have been effectively phased out much richer, they're much richer, but they've effectively mm -hmm. been phased out. I would say that's not out of the question. It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's the most likely scenario, but it's, it's definitely within the realm of possible outcomes. Why isn't anyone who's making these decisions, seeing a guy like Triple H, seeing what he's done now in his career, but how he's been running this company the last couple of years and not make that a top priority to keep him in a creative position. That seems like an awful big risk. If the guy who made this product and Vince had a lot to do with it, but certainly the last couple of years, and in his own way for decades has made this so successful and made it so valuable that they wanted to make, to buy this company. I can't, I mean, I, I can't see a Crockett scenario. If anything, I think these smart business heads would aim toward trying to phase a guy like Vince out, you know, just simply because of age and controversy. And I'm surprised to hear things like Triple H is not going to be, continue as an executive of the company. He's just running the day of the operations. I would think at the end of the day, the heads of this new company would see Triple H as more of a valuable asset than Vince. But they may, but the way the deal is structured, it's going to be a lot harder to get rid of Vince before he's ready to go. And that was part of the, I mean, that was what Vince wanted. He wanted a deal that was going to make it almost impossible for them to get rid of him without, you know, some kind of ex extensive financial penalty. And I think the other thing is, if you are, you know, the, the executives of Endeavor or TKO, you're probably thinking, how much longer is Vince going to be around? Right. Like, function, he just had a major surgery. Uh, he's not there day to day, you know, every week anymore. I, mm, I think that they're well, probably they're probably thinking. That's a problem that might solve itself. Exactly. I mean, or it's a problem that let's let's say it's not worth the possibly extreme measures we would have to take to oust him. Yeah. When he might be gone in, you know, thirty months or whatever or less. I think that to your point, I do think that they value, of course, because professional wrestling is such kind of a unique business. There really is nothing like it. Mm -hmm. 
I do think that they would want to keep Triple H around. Certainly, what I'm saying is, I'm talking about the the top level decision making for how the business operates. Yeah. And so when I when I'm saying things like again, what is what is the model, the delivery system going to be for our content? Those sorts right. of decisions where Triple H would have, you know, two two years ago, he absolutely would have been one of the key players at, at the table to kind of talk through that with Nick Khan and Vince and you know, Stephanie, whatever, before she left. I think those kinds of decisions, if they aren't already, will soon not be in the hands of the people that we traditionally think of as the WWE brass. That That's what I think is going to happen. And again, that can make for a very interesting, different product, different, like you said, delivery system going forward. Do we glean anything from Stephanie not being at her dad or Triple H's side and Shane not being there? Glean anything from that, or is that sort of like they're really not part of the company anymore? I think that that, that even if this deal hadn't happened, I don't think that would be any different. I think that um, you know, for different reasons, and we talked about this at the time. I think that with Stephanie, they they their family went through a lot over a pretty short period of time, and I always got the impression that yes, there was there was definitely some clash with the you know, possibly with her dad directly, but certainly with the the board as it was then constituted, the WWE uh, executive board. And I think she probably was just tired of it, wanted, wanted something else and wanted to spend more time, you know, w- w- this is a cliche, but I think in this case it was true, wanted to spend more time with her family after obviously her husband had a serious, serious health. Mm-hmm. I think in the case of Shane, he just kind of wore out his welcome yeah, and probably. just had some really bad missteps creatively. I think that that would that was kind of I think if Stephanie wanted to come back, I think she would be in some capacity welcome back with open arms. I think with Shane, it'd be like, uh, you can do like a cameo on TV, but we don't want you part of the company. That's you can come in, you can, you can come in, blow your quad out, and then leave. Yeah, but uh, yeah. right, yeah, you know, like father, like son. Um, okay, prediction time. Who do we see first on the other person's product? Do we see Roman Reigns? Making oh. an appearance ringside at the at the octagon, or does Conor McGregor cut a promo on Raw? What happens first? So here's the interesting point about that. I think that even though this deal was fairly even-handed as to the two companies, that of the two, UFC is considered the slightly more prioritized or higher profile or potentially more valuable property, even though they're both insanely valuable. Isn't that interesting? I, I wouldn't have thought that, but you're probably right. Yeah, and it, that's just based on the fact that in the, in the terms of the deal, it, it was the people who were kind of the UFC people, I think they sort of have like the 52% or 51% sort of portion of the Endeavor company or now TKO company, and mm-hmm. the, the WWE is like the 48-49. Um, so with that in mind, if that is how – they are perceived and that manifests itself in that decision, then I would say it's more likely that you will see a WWE person go to a UFC event, A, because it's easier to do. It's I think it's more organic because you obviously always have celebrities in the in the crowd for, for UFC stuff. And secondly, because of the well, put it this way. Um Although lately you have seen Raw and SmackDown superstars make appearances on NXT, you're more likely to see an NXT person show up in the crowd at a, at a main roster event. And that's yeah. because of the re- the relative, I hate to say prestige, but the relative prestige of those two sort of products. So I would say, I, I don't know if it would be Roman Reigns, although that would be smart because he's probably the person in the company who has the most outside the company recognition main roster people. main roster main roster current roster right yeah um and i'm not counting cd even though he's back for however long the strike lasts i guess right. uh so i you know i, I don't know if it'll be roman reigns my guess would be it'll be people that they are tr- that are cu- sort of up and coming yeah that they see as people who are ready to kind of make the the next step i don't know if la knight because i think they probably want somebody even like a younger person oh so braun breaker there you go braun breaker would be one um gosh i'm trying to think off the top of my head who else is kind of ascendant right now 
I could see Cody. I could see them them having Cody sure. show up, sure. especially since he's such a baby face. Sure. Um, Rhea Ripley. I could see Rhea Ripley. And then the other thing is there's there's the question of do this sort of existing tie, not ties, but sort of the existing crossover people who have an MMA background, or are, are those the people who are most likely to, to show up at a UFC event? You know, Ronda obviously is now no longer on the main roster at WWE, but her or somebody like um, Shayna Baszler or maybe not Matt Riddle now, but not but, Matt Riddle now, no, yeah, but so, but someone like that who who has like a connection to MMA. Maybe mm-hmm. that's where they sort of dip their toe in the water. Um, longer term, I, t- to go back to your original question, longer term, I think what you will see are people. Uh, I think this is there's going to now be an even stronger pipeline from older UFC folks. And when I say older, I mean people who are active UFC now, but in a couple of years will be ready to move on. Right, a, a much stronger pipeline from that to WWE. I think. I think. Interesting. I don't want to call it like developmental because it's obviously not that. But but I do think you're gonna that is going to become a much more reliable um, sort of conduit for new WWE talent for people who are going to show up already with name recognition. They'll have to train, obviously, but show up with uh, name recognition. There'll be brand synergy already, and they will already have like sort of an established platform, and they will s- sort of. It'll become in the much the same way that like OVW back in the day, it's like, hey, we have this thing that is now going to, you know, sort of build the stars of the future. This is something that's even at a higher level because they're brand wise, they're much more established. And then you can move them over, especially people who are charismatic or have the gift of gab. And that's that's going to be a real business advantage for WWE moving forward is that relationship. No doubt about it. It'll put extra. It'll give them sort of a backstop to their NIL plan of exactly getting college athletes. You know, you could get great college athletes, but they can't talk or they can't work or they're too big. You have this also, and it also creates competition. So they're truly trying to find the best of the best. They now have a larger pool to pull from, and that's awesome. Let's move to sort of stuff that's going on in the ring. You mentioned NXT and main roster stars heading there uh, as we speak. Uh, NXT is on USA right now, and the main event tonight is the man, Becky Lynch, who has been a dominant main roster star, maybe the dominant woman star of the last five, six years, along with Charlotte, is doing a tour down there. She's challenging Tiffany Stratton, who's the current NXT Women's Champion, to a match tonight. Uh, I guess as I've been watching, I've been seeing their interactions on the main roster. It seems like they're maybe getting ready to try out Tiffany Stratton on the on Stratton on the main roster. There's certainly lots of talent in the women's division on Raw. I looked at a list today that was, you know, 15, 16 deep, but you can never have enough, you know, good looking talent to that could look good on TV and can go in the ring. Tiffany Stratton has proved herself as champion. Do you think they're putting the strap on Becky tonight? Are there advantages of doing that? I can I can always make an argument for why you would do that. Um it, but I don't think, you know, I think Becky's done enough already to kind of put Stratton over. I don't think she has to take one for her. If you had asked me this a month ago, I would have said this is they're just trying to bump the ratings for NXT, like just as they've done with some other main roster folks. Mm-hmm. And while they might be willing to do like a North American championship for Dom or something like that, I don't think they would put the NXT the top title men's or women's on a main roster person. Now I'm not so sure, and and there's two reasons for that. The first is they've made during this feud they've made a lot of the of hay out of the fact that Becky's was never the NXT champion, and so mm. maybe they want to kind of check that box for her. Yeah. But the other thing is, one thing that I have heard about um, the new Endeavor TKO setup is that details right now, as far as what the change in creative direction might be or as we just talked about a lot of speculation not a lot of concrete stuff too early to tell could be pretty much steady as she goes or could be very different six months from now but the one thing that has come out that seems pretty solid is and and the existing wwe brass is is in favor of this as well which is why i think it's going to happen is a renewed effort to make NXT a third, like really a third brand that's, yeah. that's maybe not quite at the level of Raw and SmackDown, but is much closer as opposed to kind of what NXT 2.0 was, which was clearly 
a step down, clearly it's, it's developmental territory, not territory, but de developmental level, et cetera. So with that in mind, it's not out of the question. I think that Becky could, could win it. How long she has the title, I don't know. Um, but it's, I mean, she's not doing anything on the main roster right now. She's done with Trish. Right. That, that's over. So a, f a feud with, you know, Tiffany Stratton and maybe that leads eventually to Tiffany Stratton being on the main roster. Uh, I, it's possible. They have really, I mean, in a way, they have slowly migrated some main roster talent to NXT sort of full-time. The two I can think yeah. of is Mustafa Ali and Baron Corbin. Yeah. Two, two guys well-established on the main and, roster. And Dana Brooke as well, although, you know. Dana Brooke as well. That, that was a while, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, and it kind of started with um, – Apollo Crews, you know, folks who had been in NXT, made that full-time roster jump. Apollo Crews even had character changes in the main roster and then sent him back down. I have no problem with that. You know, if you're trying to make a third, legit third brand and you're an entertainment company, it's not out of the question to have Becky hold that title for a while. I think it does check boxes. I think you're right. Speaking of interesting things happening on the female roster, at the conclusion of Raw last night, we got a really interesting and kind of out of left field, didn't see that one coming moment. So Raquel Rodriguez was challenging um, she, uh, Ray, Ripley. Ray Ripley, thank you, for the Raw women's title. Decent match, good match. Um, and we, so when Vince came back, we heard a lot of things about a lot of talent being signed and then sort of stashed away. Chelsea Green was one of them was stashed away for months before being kind of brought back several months ago. Um, remember the tag team from NXT authors of pain AOP. They're apparently signed had been, you know, just sitting at home, but I've been under contract. Eric young was under contract for months after Vince came back and uh, saw that. Um, and then kind of like, I don't think the match needed it last night, but as Raquel Rodriguez seemingly was getting the upper hand and there was a thought, maybe is she going to take the title from Rhea? Nia Jax, the movable object, shows up in her gear that she had been wearing since the last time we saw her, you know, and she takes out Raquel Rodriguez, causing Rhea to put a win. They have a little face-off in the ring and Nia Jax awkwardly headbutts Rhea Ripley and very awkwardly leaves her laying in the corner after a big splash that seemingly she might have even botched a little bit. Um, Nia Jax returns. For everything. Right. Nia Jax returns. Um, did you, did we, did you have that on your bingo card for this episode of raw? I did not. I, I mean, for this episode of raw, no, I mean, I knew that she was kind of floating out there ever since she, I mean, she made an appearance at the Royal rumble and then it right. was thought that like, Oh, is she signed? Is she not signed? And then she didn't, disappeared and yeah. wasn't around uh i look i'm not a fan of this i think i i get it i get it from a creative standpoint because right now on raw it's like okay we're not we're keeping Rhea and becky apart for right now so what's your best option yeah on raw for her to, for her feud with Rhea's right? literally run through everybody right so so from that standpoint i get it but I just think that based on everything we know about her history and her the injuries that she's caused, look, it's possible that that she has, you know, improved and put that behind her. But I'm just like, man, you've got a really, really strong performer in Rhea who is over and who is a dominant champion, and throwing her into a feud with somebody who's probably most known for injuring people. I just, I just think that is playing with fire, I, but you know, yeah. What, I, a, I mean, what an, what an Aaron Rodgers type disaster that would be if next week on raw, you know, one, you know, accidents do happen, but Rhea gets legit hurt, you know, and tear and, and hurts her Achilles, you know, speaking of accidents do happen. Can I tell you something? There are several things. I think, I think WWE is really kind of struggling right now creatively mm -hmm. compared to where they were, you know, certainly a, a six months ago, but probably even a month ago, they have two separate angles happening on Raw right now that revolve around baby faces accidentally getting hurt by other baby faces. And I'm like, guys, 
<laughs> like stop. What, what, which ones? Which ones are you referring to? Okay, so we've had for a couple of weeks the whole thing with the new day and Drew McIntyre, mm-hmm. and then this week we got this the same type of angle with Jey Uso and Kevin Owens. Yeah. And while I think the over the Jey Uso stuff is interesting to me from the standpoint of I love the continuity of like, hey, this guy was a jerk for three years almost. And you just expect us to like do the wrestling thing where it's like, oh, he has a change of attitude. We're all cool. But no, the babies are like, hell no, we don't trust you. We don't like you. That part I'm cool with. The part where it's revolving around like, can we trust this guy because of an inadvertent, you know, super kick? I'm just like, guys, we were already doing that in another like two segments ago with different people. Make it less obvious that you're kind of cutting and pasting this stuff. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna use templates, I get it, it's wrestling that's gonna happen, but try not to put two on the same like in the same hour of, of TV. Yeah, I agree. I think I think there is a little bit of a creative lag going on right now i think you know this the the bloodline storyline which dominated wrestling and was we were talking about emmy nominations or anything you know i wouldn't say it hasn't run its course because it is still there i guess we're in a position where we're waiting on you know this is part of like roman's not working a full time every week so we gotta kill time before wrestlemania season um i think it's a combination of a couple of things i think there's like roman's gone I think like with Cody, who has been in limbo, I really do. The more I thought about it, I think their plan A for him really was a, a program with Bray Wyatt when Bray was ready to, to come back. And they were waiting for him like he was apparently, you know, making progress. And then, of course, tragic passing. And and they're just kind of like, what, like we got to figure something out with Cody because Cody, he was didn't have a match in the last pay-per-view. And so his last pay-per-view, I mean, he, he finished the feud with Brock yep. and then he hasn't been in a program with anyone in over a month, which is crazy to think because he is the top baby face in the company. And I, I look, whatever creative issues WWE might have, they're not dumb and, and, and they're not going to just let a guy like that languish unless there was a plan that suddenly they couldn't do. And, yeah. and so I think that's part of it. The other thing that I think is happening is in addition to kind of those plate spinning for those reasons i also think that with the uh consummation of this business deal i think that they wanted to kind of keep things sort of at a status quo to see sort of functionally how things work now that the two companies have combined and i and when i say that i look at things like the bloodline storyline and especially the judgment day storyline, which was really interesting. And then like, it got to a certain point a few weeks ago and they were like, okay, let's just kind of tread water. And, mm-hmm. and that's how it's been. Like you'll notice like they were really, I mean, there's, you still have some stuff with JD McDonough, who's kind of in the mix, but, but they were doing this thing where it was like, like put it this way. When's the last time you saw um, Damien priest, like tease a cash in, like that kind of, that, yeah. that, that's like all that stuff has been backburned. Like he and Finn are not only are they on the same page, the tag team champions. Tag team like, champions. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I think that some of that is due to everybody in the company wants to see like, okay, how let's figure out how this thing works now. And then I think once we get to survivor series, that's when you're going to see the, whatever direction this thing's going to take, like creatively business wise, that's when things are really going to go move fast. Yeah, I think one thing they have done right so far, and I don't know if this is somewhat to their credit, but mostly to his, is LA Knight. They've been doing great with LA Knight, even during this sort of down period. His program and promos with The Miz have been fantastic. They've both both been great. They've both been great. So, you know, and I know that you've seen it. I've seen online that LA Knight's in contract negotiations and they're far apart on money. They'll get all that worked out because they can capitalize on probably this five to six year window from LA Knights, you know, age 40 to 46, where, and right, right now he's so money. He's a, like I said, he is now more over, uh, he's as over as Dom is as a heel. Um, geez, get those two together in, in a handful of months. That'd be fantastic. Um, where's, where, where did, where did Charlotte Flair go? What happened to her? I have no idea. Isn't that interesting? No I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, uh, I, you know, you can only keep, her so far away from the women's SmackDown title for so long. So yes, I, 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 I like, and I guess I hope that your 
theory is correct that um they're just they're not making any big leaps now until this and you know this wasn't a direct result of that but woo, what you see raw is numbers from last night no but i mean it's it's football season it's, it's I mean, a football debut it's aaron Rodgers. saw that i mean it's i'm sure they were bad what 1.3 million second lowest rated raw in history behind um a december like best of show last year which got just a little bit less yeah i you, you don't put any stock in that it's football season everybody every monday night thing is going to have to counter program to that. Um, Raw will do okay. Aaron Rodgers, you know, although viewership, you know, went went down. You, viewership was at its highest when in those first four or five minutes that until Rodgers got hurt. Then it actually, you know, slowly decreased. But um, yeah, oh, I feel so bad for Jets fans. How bad was that last night? We're gonna go off topic just for a second, but yeah, I, I is, said is that the worst thing you've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's, but it's, I, I, it is just, if I were a Jets fan, Mm. I would probably start to think like, I don't believe in curses, but man, this is a lot of stuff has happened in this franchise over the years that it's, and it's different than like, so this is the whole thing with like the difference between the Red Sox, which I'm a Red Sox fan and the Cubs. And this is the point I always made. Like the Red Sox were a team that was, often in contention, often made the playoffs and some insane disaster would befall them yep. and they would not win. The Cubs were with the exception of one or two seasons here and there, they were just bad. They were just yeah. bad. So that's the difference between like Washington and the jets. So, wow. <laughs> so uh-huh. my thing with the jets is like, Hey, they've been, like in my lifetime, they've been to, you know, they've won playoff games. They've been to AFC championship games where they've had the lead. They've they've had, you know, Bill Belichick was going to be their coach. And then he, at his introductory press conference, resigned and was never their coach. And a lot of things have happened to them over the years that are, I, I have got to be frustrating as a fan base. And I think this was just like, I mean, they are, they that team, as currently constructed, they have an elite defense they have a great young running back, a great young receiver. Mm-hmm. Offensive line is so-so. But but if you put a above-average quarterback with that team, they are instantaneously a Super Bowl contender. I mean, they they beat the Bills last night after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Yeah. And that speaks to how much talent they have. Now, they're not going to be able to do that every week. But, I mean, they go from being a team that is, I think, you know, right there in the AFC playoff mix with the Chiefs and the Bills and – um you know, I was, I was going to say maybe the Bengals, but man, they look bad in week one uh, to now being like, I think a team that is because their defense probably like nine and eight and they, their schedule the next five weeks is the hardest stretch of, of any team the whole year. Despite that, who had the worst, who had the worst weekend though, the Jets or the Giants? Oh, I would Jets put it this way. I would, much rather, I would much rather be the Jets. That was a non-competitive. Yeah, yeah. And and there's a difference between like, oh man, we we lost our quarterback and our backup is a big downgrade, but at least he's the guy who started and we still have an elite defense to like, I mean, hapless. They they were, everything about that was was bad. Everything. Oh, football chat with friends rolls on (laughs) into our second half hour. We'll do a quick check-in with my son Eli, who's playing WWE 2K23 right now. I see John Cena taking on The Rock. Oh wow! Right now, yeah, he's that going. Could be, that could be WWE 2K8. It sure could be. <laughs> I think we've. I think it's been talked. There's been a lot of talk in the last year about matches of the year because yeah. we've seen some great ones. Um, the Clash of the Castle with Sheamus and Drew and Gunther. We've seen. Um, you know, Trish and Becky was. Um, talked about we've seen we've seen it we've seen a lot we've heard a lot about matches of the years there's been a bunch in aew that have been great um where do you put that gunther gable match that took place last week establishing gunther as the you man you predicted this months and months and months ago so full props to you for saying oh they're gonna let they're gonna i think what they want to do is have gunther 
go over honky tonk man established that you you called that months ago so congratulations to you they did it they set up a nice little program around it too with gable gable went from you know a true heel to a true face now and he had yeah. his they brought his family into it which is a tried and true you know plan that always works um and they put on a pretty special match both of them are exceptional professional wrestlers who do sports entertainment exceedingly well um where do you rank that match that last week up against others you've seen this year i think the the first match that and of course you know i would have to see like a list because obviously yeah. over the course of nine months you're gonna i'm sure i'm forgetting stuff right um the first match that pops in my head when you say like match of the year so far was that triple threat for the intercontinental title at wrestlemania that was so, oh yeah, wasn't it? It was Sheamus and Drew at Clash Sheamus, of the Castle. Drew and, and at, Cl at Clash of the Clash of the Castle, it was just Sheamus and Drew, right? Or they both triple uh, threat Clash matches? the Clash of the Castle was uh, that was just Sheamus and Gunther. Sheamus Drew and was Gunther. in the main event against Roman Reigns. Okay, that Sheamus Gunther match was a candidate of uh, last that was year. a great match too. That was right, match. right, the triple threat WrestleMania, um, definitely. So I mean that that's what I think that's one of my favorite matches that I've ever seen in WrestleMania. Um, so to answer your question though, it was a great match. I certainly think it's, it's up there in the, one of the better matches of the year, but I think the next match they have is going to beat it. I, I, so I, I think you now have a situation where, because he was so close to the record, the likelihood, the plausibility of Chad Gable winning was pretty low. I mean, yeah, it's wrestling. You never say never, but now the next match, it's like, he's got the record. Somebody's got to beat him. Eventually mm -hmm. it could be Gable. It's not another question. It's, it's a, so two things. First, it is a classic, classic mesh of archetypes because you have the, the lip, the undersized shorty G mm -hmm. the undersized face going up against this dominant, you know, heel champion, record holding champion, who's a foot taller than he is practically, and, and you know is is kind of a bully and, and superior. All this stuff, very arrogant, just perfect. The other thing that jumps out to me was that I mean, it was a really good segment on Raw, the celebration segment that then Chad Gable interrupted. But what jumped out to me was Chad Gable said. I swear to God, I am going to beat you. When is the last time you heard someone in wrestling earnestly say, I swear to God, like, but he said it multiple times. I'm like, that's different. That's not something you, you typically will hear in a wrestling promo in 2023. And that really got my attention. I, hmm. I think it is not out of the question that you could see, you know, I don't know if it'll be a pay. Have they, have they announced when the rematch is going to be? Maybe they have. Dave, I, if it was, if it was caught during the post-match interview or web exclusive, I have not seen it yet. Well, it's either going to be the main event of raw or it's going to be a high profile match on a, on a pay-per-view card, but either way, it's going to be a match that I think gets the one criticism about that great match you're referencing was that there were like two or three ad breaks during it. And I think that rubbed people wrong because they're like, this match is so good. Just show us the match. Um, I think they're going to get a they're going to get a really good spotlight. I think it's going to be an extended, especially obviously it's on pay per view. I think it's going to be they're going to give him twenty plus minutes. His he's already sort of laid the groundwork that his family's going to be there again. That's going to be part of it. You know, gun to my head, I think Gable's going to be the one who beats him finally. He's invoked. He's invoked our Lord and Savior into the storyline. So right. there you go. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I think I, I mean. I, I'll put it this way. One of the hardest things to do, and you see it with Roman Reigns as well, when you have a champion who has been champion for an extended length of time, is to create scenarios where it is plausible that, it, not only plausible that the champion could lose, but also where it makes sense that he could lose. So like, for example, like right, right now even, like with Seth Rollins, who hasn't been, a, I mean, that, that title's only been around for a few months. Um, as much as I'm enjoying kind of the the way that they have, like Shinsuke Nakamura, I think to me, this is as interesting as he's been since he's been on the main roster. No doubt about it. But I also 
although I might be pleasantly surprised if he did get a title run, I also, I wouldn't bet that he will. I think he probably just, you know, continues to feud with Seth for a while, loses one or two more times. Mm-hmm. So you need something that A is going to be a plausible, like you want a champion, whether it's a healer or a face, where you feel like there is a danger that he's going to lose the title. At the same time, you also want a, a challenger who, if he or she wins the title, you say like, okay, that fits. That makes sense. It's not like, wait, you, why is that person? Win-? Like that doesn't. And I think in the case of Chad Gable, they have slowly but surely built him to a point now where it's like you could have him win. It's it's plausible that he could win. And from a character standpoint and sort of a push standpoint, it makes perfect sense. He's ta- he, he is the first guy to beat Gunther since he's come to Raw. It was a count out win. Yep. He took him to the proverbial limit and in, in the, you know, the championship match that, that you're referencing. Uh, and I think now if he did win, it'd be like, yeah, okay, I can see right. him. I can see him as a legit Intercontinental Champion worthy of being the successor of Gunther. And that is, that's all you can ask for in terms of cre- creative storytelling. So I'm And, I'm and if, you, if you want to, and if it's not going to, you don't expect a long run from Chad Gable, it also would make perfect good, good sense for Gunther to, re- to retain that title if you really wanted Gunther to carry it longer. Although once Gunther loses it, I would hope you put him in a, in a world title picture because he's worthy. But but yeah, I, I see I see where we're going with that. Yeah, Re- I've said this before, but I think WrestleMania next year, Gunther is either going to be defending the title, the world title, possibly against Brock Lesnar, or he is going to be wrestling for and probably winning the world title. So he will be for sure, in my mind, unless he gets hurt, he will be in the world championship match that's on WrestleMania next year, possibly as the champion. So you talk about like on the raw side of things, you're not expecting him to be the one challenging Roman, or are you? Gunther? Yeah. No. Oh, okay. You see, I, I'm saying you see he's, going, a... he's going after the title that Seth has. Okay. And, and, and he, I think, will win it. He, I think, it, gun to my head, I would say Seth is going to continue to be the world champion for a while, have a nice long reign, and eventually he loses to Gunther. And that's, that's the guy who takes it from him. And then he either you know, maybe faces off against Brock at WrestleMania or, you know, maybe Seth in a rematch or something like that. But Gunther is clearly the guy who they see as their next great heel, you know, world champion on the Raw side. And I think rightfully so. Rightfully so. Although, I mean, as I was sort of fantasy booking this in my head the other night about this, I see Nakamura as a credible champion or, or a credible threat to beat Seth, because I think ultimately they wanted to put the world title on Jey Uso, um, main event Jey Uso. It's I don't think I don't see a path right now or in the next several months through at least SummerSlam where Jay is going to get his revenge on Roman. That ship seemingly has sailed for now. Um, we never know what's going to happen with this trade, but it looks like they want to have Jay. And we we talked about Jey Uso being legit world champion and threat to Roman's title. So I saw. Nakamura defeating Seth because if Jay's coming in as a face, it'd be easier for him to defeat a heel Nakamura. Heel Nakamura, then you have a face that can lose the title to this Gunther scenario. Yeah, and the I, other I thing said. is, I think putting the tag titles on Finn and Damian kind of signals like, hey, we're not going to be pulling the trigger on the briefcase anytime soon. So that's kind of out of the equation. That's the only thing, like. In thinking about what, so assuming I'm right, this this eventually will get to Gunther. Trying to kind of pace that out and figure out like, okay, there's got to be cash in at some point, and maybe it's successful, maybe it's not. Maybe it's maybe Finn messes it up, and that and then they feud, and that's the WrestleMania match for those two guys, and and the dissolution of the Judgment Day one way or the other, and you know one of those guys turns face, probably Damian. Um, maybe that's where that goes. But with that in play, and then, like you said, you've got Seth has the title. Maybe you want to work Jay into a main event picture. Um, you've still got Cody floating around there. And, like, how does he factor in? And you, he- and you said something interesting last week because I think the conventional wisdom was that Cody would be the one inevitably traded for Jay. I don't think so. But, but you didn't think so. I thought that was interesting. That, yeah, so, that- so here, here's my thinking on that is mm-hmm. that they the, – so the reason that Cody's on Raw, I think we all agree, is like – Look, we're headed for a rematch at 40, probably, with Roman. But we can't have those guys on the same show for seven months and them not, like, 
square off. Like it would right. be weird and awkward and it wouldn't make any sense. It's this, that is the same reason why they have pushed Jay to raw because it's like, look, we want to keep the kind of the bloodline thing going down the road. But if Jay is on SmackDown every week, like we just, it just won't make any sense. Like there's no way we can create some kind of artificial way to propel the storyline with Jay for September, October, November, December, January, February, March, to eight, basically eight, eight, eight seven months. and a half to eight months. Yeah. Like it's too, it's too long. It's same thing with Cody. So that's the reason why I think that he is not going to be the one who's traded, at least not now. I mean, he may go to, I think he's going to win the Rumble again or something, some variation thereof. Um, and that's how he gets back to, to go after Roman. But one thing that has kind of been talked about is the fact that Cody has been sort of in limbo and hasn't been in a program, wasn't on the last pay-per-view. One of the theory, my theory is, like I said, I think, I think it was the Bray Wyatt thing. But one theory that has been floated is they've been holding him out of raw programs to make it easier to move him to SmackDown. Not out of the question. Mm -hmm. It's possible. I just think that if that is what they intend to do, it is way too early to do it. And they, they're going to regret that because, because naturally if he goes to SmackDown, the first thing he should do, should be, he should be Roman's next challenger. Roman has no, he does not have a program. Why would it not be Cody and Roman again? But obviously they're trying to save that for WrestleMania. So I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I think I thought honestly, my my first thought before they announced that they were going to have a match, I thought it was going to be the Miz because I was like they'll move him to SmackDown and then just that's how they'll they'll continue the um, LA Knight feud yeah and have that go. But they're they're just doing a cross brand thing anyway. So what's the point? It doesn't matter. So who do you think it'll be? Do you think it'll be Cody? I think it'll be Cody because I think there's some other wrestlers that you would have win the rumble before Cody a second time. That almost seems too easy. So that's why I, I, I wouldn't see Cody repeat. I didn't see Cody repeating. It sort of wasn't in my brain to see that happen. Um, so yes, I thought that was a natural thing. Now you raise, you raise great points about what do you actually do for months, you know? And I think that's, I think that's a creative problem that they have. Part of it is because you've made Roman this, untouchable champion and he's got his own agenda which they may actually try to pursue hogan's record at least which would be three wrestlemania but yeah um yeah raw is really full of talent but the, yes my my belief was that cody was going to now I, I i disagree with the idea that they had cody and bray set and the reason i say that i think i might have mentioned a few weeks ago cause of Bray's death was a heart attack. And one of the things they cited was he was, he was issued, but not wearing at the time of his death, a external defibrillator. Um, it was like, they said it was in his, they found it in his car. He was, he, he had gone to take a nap in his house. He had had a heart attack while he was sleeping. But if you're issued an external defibrillator, and I know this from experience, because I've had one, you are nowhere near going to be medically cleared um to wrestle anytime soon like an external defibrillator is used because your heart is not functioning at a high enough percentage that they're letting you walk around without some you know a device readily at your that's going to shock you um there's something called you know not to get too technical there's something called ejection fraction percentage the ejection fraction percentage is the amount of blood that is pumped through your heart every time that it beats if you're under so no no heart beats a hundred percent obviously the um, the average is seventy to ninety percent fifty to seventy percent they give you an, a defibrillator if your heart's beating at under thirty five percent so you know if he had that's basically a form of heart failure and if he's like that then he wasn't coming back to wrestling anytime soon that's the only thing that's so interesting to me that once I heard that I said Bray was never coming back so it just goes back to that thought about what what they have planned. Yeah. So, okay. so with that in mind, I mean, that's good information. And that's certainly beyond my expertise. With that said, then I think you're probably right that they, so put it this way. If Bray's health problems were that severe, I don't think they would have made any 
plans around him because they would have known like either he's not coming back or if he does, it's going to be a long time before he comes back. Right. Um, so with that said, I, I can definitely see more so the theory that they've been holding off on Cody because they didn't want him entangled with uh, another raw, you know, storyline. So, so it'd be easier to move him to SmackDown. Um, and then there was the other thing where it's like he, he was the one who kind of presented Jay Uso to the raw crowd. Right. And, you know, there's that, that connection too. I just think like whether, and again, I don't know that he will, like, I wouldn't necessarily even predict that he'll win the rumble again, or that he would have won the rumble again. That was just one Avenue to get him to, to Roman. My For issue sure. is if you move him to SmackDown in September, you basically have two choices. You can either have him, have the rematch with Roman before WrestleMania, or you are really going to regret it because well, you you can you can run a Jimmy Uso solo Sokola gauntlet that takes a couple of months, but, but they still, kind of already they kind of already did that. They have kind of already done that. You're Jimmy right. Jimmy is still like he's got his own storyline deal with the Bloodline. I yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's, you're right again, and that's that's another issue I have with WWE right now, which is driving me crazy. Which is like, guys, you so you had. Let's just recap quickly the the trajectory of Jimmy Uso. So before SummerSlam, he and Jay have this sort of epiphany, or maybe Jay did anyway, where he's like, we're out of the bloodline. Yep. And then it's like, oh, man, amazing. Like, this is a big deal. Okay, great. So then, you know, Jimmy gets – gets they have the match with Roman, uh, Roman and Solo. They win. J pins Roman. It's a huge deal. Then subsequent to that, they take out Jimmy. The bloodline takes out Jimmy. So now you're going to have Jay versus Roman for the title. Jimmy intervenes on behalf. Of, I mean, not really on behalf of Roman, but he, he prevents Jay. He attacks mm-hmm. Jay. He prevents mm-hmm. Jay from winning. And the explanation given on TV, which I was up to this point, I'm like, I'm okay with this. I kind of get it was I saw what the title did to Roman. I love you and don't want that to happen to you. And it's going to happen to you. I can see it. You're turning to the dark side. It's like, okay, I- I'm cool with that. I, I it's, it's a reasonable wrestling explanation for why you would attack the guy who was your friend. Okay. But then Jay quits, which was a surprise. I didn't see that coming. I was like, Oh, that's, huh. That's weird. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy is like trying to get back into the bloodline. Why? That makes no sense. No sense. Do you think they just like fumbled, fumbled a script one night and they're paying the consequences for that? Or they were were holding it upside down and they didn't realize it until after the show was over. It's like, Oh crap. We really, well, you know, I don't like to, I don't, I don't, I bring this up a lot, but we don't need to like dwell on it. But like this, this sort of confusion and this sort of stagnation does run parallel with reports that Vince is more involved than ever and is changing scripts last second. There was a lot of stuff planned for Raw that was like announced but never happened. And they say Vince is back full in charge. You know, neither of us are there, but like I always think it's interesting when these sort of things happen that it always coincides with Vince getting his hands back in the pot. With the last second changes to Raw and stuff like that, I I do think that is some of that is Vince's fingerprints. What happened with the bloodline, though, that even when Vince was fully in charge the first two years of this, that was such a well-told story. And you yeah. had other creative voices who were so involved in that, whether it was Michael P.S. Hayes, Paul Heyman, you know, Roman himself. I, I, I really do go back to I think something is going on that is related to the consummation of this business deal where they're like, we don't want to do we don't want to make any major creative moves until we sort of get through this transitional period and yeah, things, I think you're how right. things work. Yeah. I think, right. I think stuff like this, like the segments being moved around a raw and like, you know, Jay opening the show instead of Cody and that kind of stuff. I, that's Vince. The weird decision to have Jimmy want to get back into the bloodline. Like that's that, what that feels like is we are trying to stretch this thing out until we get a feel for 
how things are going to work. And then we'll kind of resume your, like what I think is going to happen ultimately is once that all gets settled, which could be in a few weeks, I think there's going to be some kind of weird retcon where Jimmy, I don't, I don't know. He's not going to say just kidding or something like that, but, but I think there's going to be some post hoc explanation that tries to make the pieces fit together again. Yeah. Now that Jay's Mm -hmm. out of the picture, to some extent it becomes a little easier to do that because you don't have Jay like standing next to you being like, what are you talking about? Like, that's, it's like you, you attacked me. Do you remember this? Anyway. Totally. We'll, we'll bookend the show tonight with another sort of business question. Um, in, two, in early 2024, where will you be watching your SmackDown? Will it be on a Disney-owned product like ESPN or will it be on Amazon? Which seem to be the two leading contenders to nab SmackDowns. It seems like Fox is not um, willing to meet the price $300 million that WWE is asking for for TV rights. So D- Disney and Amazon have emerged as leading contenders. Where do you see this end up going? And okay. why doesn't N- why doesn't NBC own the exclusive provider because of the Peacock Network? Okay, so there's a couple questions there. there so, are. So, Sorry. So the, so the first thing is, as far as NBC, I th- my th- thinking is number one. I think WWE from the WWE perspective, they would rather their product be on multiple um yeah you know avenues because you're sure. because in, even though it and it, always, cause, cause it always has been you know right and, and even though this doesn't make as much sense as it once did to a certain extent you are you are in front of like different audiences if you're on different channels or platforms that's or right whatever. that's right um so so that's part of it so it's so in other words that deal may not be attractive to WWE. And the other half of it, the other half of the equation is it may be from, from the standpoint of NBC universal, they might be saying like, look, we've already spent a lot of money on this. It's enough. Like we're not looking to double what we're already paying for, for this content. Like it's, it's enough. Um, so, so that might be part of it as well. In terms of, of the, of the options that you just talked about, I could be way off on this, but I would say of those two, Amazon is more likely. And the reason is, is because Amazon's business structure is just so different from, you know, Disney and like Disney is trying to get rid of ESPN, basically sell it because they are purely a, like take out the theme parks and merchandise, but they are basically a content uh, producer, creator, carrier. Amazon, as you know, very diverse and very big. And they're like, we'll, we'll happily add more content. I mean, that's that's not a problem. Um, whereas Disney is looking at, so we've talked about this a little bit, but this in a nutshell, a lot of the, the streaming services made a bad bet during the pandemic. Because, because what they assumed was that there was this large untapped market that was interested in streaming. And I think that some of the aspects of the pandemic sort of skewed the, the calibration on that. And, and you know, they, they had anticipated behaviors that did not materialize. And so what did they do? They spent billions of dollars to acquire intellectual property, to produce new intellectual property, to get into, um, you know, potentially lucrative, or at least from their perspective, expensive, you know, multi-picture deals with certain people like Adam Sandler or, or like, um, you know, stand-up comics uh, and to do mm-hmm. live programming and all that stuff. And one of the things that has come out with the, um, the strike that's happening right now in Hollywood is the, the, the scuttlebutt is this has really been, it, part of it is about the future, kind of the future of, of streaming, certainly. But part of it is the reason that the media companies are right now so intractable is that all the stuff that's happening now is sort of covered in a lot of these contracts as like sort of force majeure. So like if they, if they go on strike, like we can we can cancel the deal. So if you if you have paid I'm throwing out numbers here, but if you've paid six hundred million dollars to someone like Adam Sandler or whoever to produce like 
six movies and you're like, man, we have lost money on the first two or three of these. And we would love to not have to do the other three because we know they're going to lose money too, even if they're successful because our business model, it's our fault because our business model is messed up. Canceling those deals is one of the big reasons why they have, have really dug their heels in early because they're like, we know we're going to take a hit both PR wise and in terms of new content, but man, we are going to get out of so many bad deals because of this. It is absolutely worth it. Hmm. So to wrap this up and come back to your question, Amazon is not like th that is such a like tiny piece of their gigantic pie that they're just yeah. like, yeah, we'll, we'll happily acquire new IP and we'll happily uh, bring WWE into the fold or whatever, like other sports or, or, you know, anything else. Interesting. So I think that's of, of those two anyway, Amazon for sure would be the much more likely landing spot. I love your perspective. I love your insight. You do really put it in terms that even a wrestling old wrestling man like me can understand TJ. That's why, that's why we have you around and we appreciate it. We got a PLE coming in a few weeks, but um, next Tuesday, I want to talk to Kelsey about her experience yeah. down at the um, Nightmare Factory, who she ran into. I really told her to, to pump the show, so we may get some guests out of it. Who knows? Um, but thanks to all of you uh, for watching. Uh, see this show and all of our shows on our Twitter page, our YouTube, our Facebook. And we are loading more and more episodes on Spotify and um, Apple, iTunes, whatever it is. Eli, you a big fan of uh, 2K23? Yeah. What do, um, Who, Who's his go-to guy? Who's, who, who's your go-to guy so far? Roman Reigns, 99 overall. Roman Reigns, 99 strength overall. I have heard a lot of Nakamura uh, music coming oh. from here, too. So he's a Nakamura fan, too. Um, he did just the, the most the, – the, the mod, the custom creation guy. People can make different – players and upload them that everyone can use. He also can be playing. I'll probably will insist going forward that he plays this guy. He's got MJF as the AEW world oh, champion nice. going. So maybe through the, is it called the career mode, universe mode? Uh, this is the universe mode? The universe mode will have a, will have, will fulfill Max's dreams and let him uh, run the WWE for a while. Great. But uh, Cheats and I will be here Thursday to talk AEW. Dynamite's tomorrow. SmackDown. Raw will happen again, and then we'll be back here talking about it with TG and, and Kelsey. So we're tapping out tonight. That's all we got for Eli, for TG. We'll say thanks, guys. See you next week. Thank you all.